burning our way through hour number two here on the Jake Feinberg Show. Welcome back inside the Paris Sea Palace, high above 2919 East Broadway. Happy New Year from everybody here at the Jake Feinberg Show. We can't thank you enough for making us part of your day today. It's been a scatical fest. Uh, in hour one, we heard from Andy Bernard and just heard from uh, an incredibly loquacious uh, Brian Baruch and what an honor now to bring in a cat who's been a cognoscenti of mine uh, along the way. Uh, he's been consumed in his own professional endeavors, trying to balance between the spiritual and the material. Mike Samuels, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thank you, Jake. My pleasure to be here. How are you, my man? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Well, you know, it's just, it's been cathartic already. I'm mean, talking to Andy and, uh, and Brian, uh, and it, I, I'm glad that, that, uh, it's just been a long time coming. You know, it's funny. I wanted to, Bruce just mentioned that, that, um, when he was on staff with Judd and Dogger, I think, uh, I can't remember exactly what year it was, but he was totally skeptical and used to make fun of the Grateful Dead. And then he, um, wound up getting uh, on the bus. He came out to Tucson then wound up at some shows up in, uh, in Berkeley and uh and then he was hooked with that 74 Bronco but I kind of wanted to ask you specifically if you could talk about the intermeshing of uh of the Grateful Dead and Camp Scatico for Mike Samuels absolutely I think that the, the title of your show today Scatico your face says a lot uh, <laughs> right to me the, the two have uh have always been intertwined uh since they first were introduced to me and uh the Grateful Dead was originally introduced to me as a lot of the music that uh, means something to me throughout my life uh, through Camp Scatico. And uh, I think that in a variety of ways, they, they hold similar experiences. Uh, I have a friend who is a musician, a guitarist, and uh, actually you may know him, Justin Mazur, uh, who played with Leroy Justice for a little while. But uh, recently, Justin had an opportunity to play with Bob Weir, uh, up in Mill Valley at Sweetwater. Wow. And you know, I asked him what the experience was like. And, you know, his, his feedback was pretty interesting. Um, to me, it, it hit the note right in the head as to what I have kind of learned from the Grateful Dead. And, uh, you know, he, he said to me back, he says, he goes, it was a real honor. Musically, I thought we did our job. It's a mind F playing with him because his left hand doesn't match with what he's actually playing. So you have to be constantly listening more than you ever have before in your life. And hmm. listening is what I really learned about uh, from the Grateful Dead. And Cam Scatico, to me, it means a lot of things, but I learned how to live with other people and how to get along in times of uh, triumph as well as in times of challenge. And to really do that as a child as well as an adult, there's a lot of listening that needs to go on. Um, and then there's the joy. Both places, both the Grateful Dead and Camp Scatico, have brought joy to me personally uh, in really ways uh, innumerable, as I know that you uh, share in much of it. Well, I mean, but I mean so much so, uh, Skelly, that, I mean, did you pick up the drum kit because of, of Kreutzmann or, or Mickey or, I mean, did you, I mean, I guess my point is that as I listen to them, as I do, I mean, I covet all musicians and all genres of music, but there's no band that I, that I turn to more than the Grateful Dead for spiritual awakening. And, um, you were, you, you are a drummer. I mean, did you, how hard, what was the magic of the, of Kreutzmann? Because I've chronicled lately and I've been blasting it out that 
that Mickey really is a punctuator and a percussionist. The, the guy who held the band together as a drummer was Billy. Mickey should just have been called the percussionist. And I'm just, I'd like you to talk about when you got behind the drum set, if you were listening to Solo Kreutzmann 74 and trying to work out those grooves. <laughs> That's a great question. No. Well, when I first got behind the drum kit, it was probably, I was 13. So uh, whatever that, 86, I guess. Yeah. And at that point, it was probably a little bit before my Grateful Dead time. I, I would say that I probably was listening to uh, hard rock from the late 70s, like Van Halen, and probably some, some hard rock from the current days, which would have been like Motley Crue. Sure and stuff like that but in terms of, of billy's style as a player absolutely uh you know it's funny i saw him perform a handful of years ago uh, a late night set at the mountain jam music festival up at hunter and uh performing billy was with i believe someone who you either recently interviewed or will be speaking with papa molly i oh, forgot yeah. the name of that outfit uh, uh, the seven seven walkers seven walkers yeah yeah, yeah yeah the seven walkers and i remember that was the first time, I think, at least in my memory, that I had seen Billy perform in something outside of Grateful Dead music. Mm -hmm. um, and the main thing, I can, I didn't know any of their original tunes going into the experience. The main thing I was floored with the entire time watching them was, wow, here is the spirit uh, of the Grateful Dead. There was a heartbeat in, in the performance that was, what I had experienced as the Grateful Dead. And um, I absolutely, you mentioned, I think, 74, but, you know, those time periods throughout the Grateful Dead history when there was one drummer, uh, there's something special about it. And uh, Billy certainly knows, uh, he knows how to be himself. Um, and, and it swings, it swings, brother. I, I love talking to you because, I'm, I'm, this is so interesting because there are legendary shows with you and, uh, from the Knickerbocker and all, you you were an Albany uh, alum, uh, you know, wearing alternative attire to the shows, having, <laughs> <laughs> having fun at the shows. But did you take were, you were kind of a wonk. Um, you were a musical cat. You you played music. And I as I've gone through this, I mean, I never saw the dead. And if I went to the shows, I'm sure I would have just been partying there. A lot of the musician, a lot of the fans, though. I think they were there for the party more so, especially as it got later on and became more, you know, McDonaldized with with the touch of gray stuff. But the thing is, did you kind of go there as a? Did you take flack for knowing the music? Were you able? Were you in the music, or were you just there to to become enlightened through you know through the through the event? <laughs> well, I'm not sure if at the age of I think 16 when I first went to see the Grateful Dead that I was necessarily on a voyage towards, at least not a purposeful one, towards enlightenment. Um, but I certainly can say to you that uh, it's probably, the short answer is probably a little bit of, but I think that the first part of the answer is definitely the music. Um, my whole life, since I was really, my early memories, music has been something to me that is, it's, it's, it's kind of like air. Or water. It's it's not an option. It's not a it's not a preference. <laughs> right. It is Survivor. part of what life is. You know. Yeah, I dig. Um, I dig. And even before I started learning how to play an instrument, um, I I have a natural affinity for and towards um, the auditory. And it's funny when I when I have conversations with people in public, if there is a music on in the background, um, and if I know and or like a song, which tends to be most of the time. I find it like mechanically challenging 
to uh, maintain my focus in the conversation because all my senses move towards the music. And, you know, the Grateful Dead um, had this kind of um, combination of everything and nothing. Um, you know, these beautiful, beautiful songs, both in, in music and melodies, as well as lyrics, um, to a willingness to let there be silence and nothing, to catastrophes, to moments of, <laughs> of uh, you know, heightened, heightened musical peaks. And, and, and it was all just kind of there as it was and as it occurred every, every night or didn't occur certain nights. So I was always there tied to the way the music made me feel. Mm. Uh, but of course, um, you know, I, I'd be lying if I say to you that as a 16-year-old, I wasn't interested in or didn't have parts of me that were developing about social social things. And there was a social um, reality to the Grateful Dead experience in the late 80s and, and early 90s that um, was part of the social fabric of, of my teenage years. And, uh, yeah, I think it probably had a little bit of both. Also, I mean, because I've talked to cats that were that got close uh, to uh, various members of the band. I've interviewed them, and they were, you know, on sta- backstage quite a bit uh, through many of the years, uh, even before you started to see them. And you know, they said that a lot of times, like drum space, which I never could really understand, and now it's like one of my favorite parts of listening to the shows. <laughs> but but he the guy was talking about you know people would literally be you know running either for the door or bathroom break or getting a drink during the drum space segment. But I'm like I I came into the show today. I said I know Skelly was marinating in that drum space. <laughs> you talk about him. Ma- I, I, most, I no. most certainly was. Right. No doubt, my, my my friends now will laugh at that because you know we as as I do with you sometimes we'll all share you know recordings uh, oh, from the course. band's history. And, you know, often they'll be introduced to me, as you've introduced me to some, I've introduced to some, but, you know, often it comes with, you got to check out this morning dew or this rider. And I almost always, I'd say 99% of the time, if someone recommends that I listen to a show, yeah. I will just start to finish. And I, I need to be there with the whole of it. And for me, drums and space is part of what, what the music uh, was and is, it was part of their expression as performers and as a unit. And, uh, you know, it's funny, last, uh, no, I guess it was two summers ago when they had the Chicago Fairly Well shows, um, the drum segment was very interesting to me, being able to experience, uh, you know, a, a true Billy Mickey drum segment um, live and in that setting in a stadium, which had been since uh, 95, since I'd seen Grateful Dead music in a stadium. And I was sitting there, and I was interested to see how some of the younger people were experiencing that. Absolutely. And it seemed to me that, that, that they were pretty into it. And, and if you think about some of the, the music that's big today with younger kids and or that's big on, like, the quote-unquote hippie or jam scene these days, it's very groove-oriented, and it's very much about, you know, dancing. And here I was watching, you know, these two, two masters for, for me in my life um, just doing what they always did, but... It was like this is the organic beginning. Obviously, you know it goes way back to, to tribal drumming and much of that beforehand. But in terms of my lifetime, this was the beginning of what now has become something that is a little bit more mainstream. And uh, it was a very funny experience. Yeah. Well, actually, just to be clear, I mean, I, I've been, <clears throat> you know, Mickey doesn't even have a trap set on stage now. It's all just this different percussion. Uh, but you know, I, I wonder. 
Mike, you know, I mean, I've even picked up playing the snare drum. I got a couple of uh, surrogate uncles out here that <clears throat> let me play with on Monday, and we have a ball. And I'm 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 learning to keep time, but I just wonder about how you get music out of your system these days. I mean, do you are you getting a chance to play at all? <laughs> uh, I get it out of my system every day. Um, Good. You know, I'm constantly I'm constantly singing, or whether aloud or internally, or tapping. Um, so much so that, um, you know, I'll catch myself sometimes in a public place or at an office or somewhere, and I will not even realize that I've been, you know, tapping out some songs <laughs> on the desk, and people around me probably, you know, want to strangle me. <laughs> um, but, but it's within me, and it's, it's always there. Um, you know, I, I do karaoke. Uh, I've reconnected with some friends from growing up who love the karaoke, and, uh, that's a great release. I do play the drums occasionally. I've done some work on the business side of music, and there's been moments where, uh, you know, we were setting up for a gig and our drummer was not yet there, that I would sound check with the band. Um, I've been playing recently with uh, a bunch of Grateful Dead fans uh, through, uh, through a group of people that, that I've become uh, close with called Wall Street Dead Ahead. And it's like a professional network for, uh, for fans of Grateful Dead music. But uh, as a side thing, we realized that a lot of the people, you know, enjoy music and either play professionally or in most cases amateur or sometimes have never stepped up to the mic or threw on a guitar. And we get in the room about once every month or so, and uh, we play Grateful Dead music for about five hours. And we have two kits set up, and we just kind of uh, walk in and out of the songs and trade off parts, totally loose and freeform. Uh, that's been a beautiful experience. Oh, that is really... So do you find yourself being the percussionist or more the timekeeper? <laughs> um, I think when I, when I end up behind a kit, yeah. um, I'm drawn to being the timekeeper with an ear towards the percussionist. Or, you know, <laughs> that's say. hard to well, do, well, man. Hard to do. It, well, it, it, well the, the, see, the thing is, is that for me, naturally, the, the, you know, it's the, the, if you want to call it the percussionist side, is that's what I hear. I hear all the stuff in between what's being played. Right. That just comes to me. However, as a drummer, you know, you, you do have a role in the music. And um, especially these days when I'm stepping into, uh, stepping behind the kit, it's usually a situation where this is either the first time I'm, you know, I'm hanging out with these people or it's not like a well-rehearsed scenario. So I'm even more cognizant of my responsibility there, which is, you know, to keep things going and uh, to give the one wherever that one may be each measure to uh, everybody who's there listening and playing with me i love it any note can be the one i mean that's what papa molly said he i've done two interviews with him and i'm going to do my third uh actually next week to kick off the new year but he said that billy liberated him the way no musician has because he basically told him that any note if you get lost in a psychedelic jam and you've lost your way just realize it'll come back around and any note can be the one and i've been talking to studio drummer i mean i've just been on this mission i realized skelly that you know my show has turned into a show about rhythm i mean when you're interviewing jim keltner for hours and rick Murata, steve gadd and you know you're just like obsessed with individuality and i think that's the the other thing i wanted to ask you about and we can put a button on it is i mean how off how much do you use the symbols to keep time because cats like you know all you hear now i don't think mike samuels is when you're talking to, to having a good conversation, you're not gravitating towards uh, techno music or uh, two double bass drums pounding into the wall. I mean, you're you're going to be attracted to, you know, music that you can feel. And I'm just curious about your how much you like to keep time, how much you're aware of the symbols. Because I've talked to a couple of cats, Joe Sample, rest in peace, Reggie Workman, who is John Coltrane's drummer, and he's, they said, you know, 
You can look at drummers now in their 50s and they don't know how to use, they don't use the cymbals. They don't use it for colors. You go see a 45 minute jazz set, they, they just don't use it the way the other cats do and therefore it's very hard to develop your own individual sound. And I just want you to riff on that. Absolutely. Uh, well, drumming is interesting. Uh, drumming is different. If we're just talking about uh, kind of the rock and roll instrumentation, the usual drums, you know, a trap kit, an electric bass, one or two electric guitars, you know, a piano and their keys, you know, that arrangement, it, uh, the, the drums are acoustic in that situation always. And to play the drums very well is extraordinarily challenging. Um, you're not hiding behind any sounds. You're not, the, the instruments sound as they do when you touch them with your stick. And the sensitivity of all those sounds are crucial to what's coming out. And if you are not completely just well rehearsed and have your chops down, um, it's, it's very challenging. And which is why when I play, <laughs> uh, I like to keep it. I like to keep it simple, stupid. Right. Um, right. But but simple work, simple work. And I I understand what you're saying, is is beautiful when it can be done correctly. Right. And correctly just means the true touch of an artist and, and a practice a practice position. And I cannot consider myself that. Um, but in terms of appreciation, I think it's a tremendous part of the sound. The sonic landscape that you have with the drum kit. Um, it really is it's broad, and there's a lot of space you know, between the low end of the kick drum and the, the high punctuation of the snare drum, and then the, the tight kind of tick, tick, tick of a closed hi-hat, and the huge ocean of the expansive like, uh, crash of a, of a deep, dark, maybe Z-series uh, Zildjian, <laughs> or A-series, I think. You know, they, they, they're such a broad palette. And I can, I can hear in my head right now speaking to you how it sounds to me when I try to get too fancy and it doesn't sound so wonderful. Right. But when I think about, when I think about those old jazz greats, um, whether they're swinging on the ride and or they are, they are giving those, those flashes of color throughout, with or without the other drums, um, is, is something that typically doesn't occur today. But I will say this, that there, there are a handful of musicians I've seen recently that, that do a great job of that. Uh, last night, I went to Madison Square Garden to see the band Fish. Yes. And John Fishman, their drummer, actually, and he has a very jazz slant to his performance style, but he really does a great job of coloring with the cymbals throughout. And he does so in all the different pieces, um, the funk stuff to the kind of more out-there open stuff. And, uh, but here's somebody who certainly has the chops to, to really do so. I like how you're, 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 you're nailing this stuff uh very articulately, I, I also, I think people make it look, the really good cats make it look easy, and it's not easy. And, and you know, I, I look at more and more as uh, Billy Kreutzman being the driver of the bus of the Grateful Dead. I, I you know, and without, I just, and, and I also, to me, it's just, it's an intoxicating thing. And I, I'm just glad you're a rhythmist because I know a lot of cats at Scatico, you know, they're, they listen to the analog taste, but here we get a chance to, to talk to an actual, you know, uh, not a professional musician, but a musician, uh, Mike Samuels. And I, I got a, an email here from an avid fan uh, asking, Jake, do you know what band Mike Samuels was in in Albany 19, in, uh, in college? What band were you in? <laughs> well, I can tell you this, that 
the answer to that question is, is most likely free beer and chicken. Free beer um, and chicken. So let's break it free down. Free beer and yeah. chicken. Yeah, I free beer it. and chicken. Uh, and and to say that I was in the band, I would say I, I played probably with them for a few months. Um, they were a band local in, in Albany, New York, and uh, very cool, great guys um, with an interesting blend of of appreciation and dedication to the simple American roots music, uh, blues, um, with you know a willingness to to play along and, and bring it a little bit more more modern. And Free Beer and Chicken, I believe, and you may know this, is it a John Lee Hooker song or a John Lee Hooker album? Oh, that's a great, um, yeah, you're exactly <laughs> right. You're right. Yep, that's right. I believe that's where the name came from. Um, but, you know, we actually, uh, one funny story from this is the Rhinecliffe Hotel, which is now, a, you know, a beautiful place to stay when you're up in the, in the Hudson Valley nowadays. But, you know, up until maybe 10, 15 years ago when they redid it, was this wonderful roadside, I wouldn't call it a honky-tonk because it was really more like a dive bar, but um, quite a special place in terms of the performance. And <laughs> I had one night, I probably played with Free Beer and Chicken, we probably did like Northeast College shows, maybe a month or two, so probably like maybe 10 or 12 shows. And we played this night at the Rhinecliffe Hotel, and uh, I had the honor of playing percussion in a Scatico, a Green Camp Scatico t-shirt. Um, we did our opening set for David Nelson at the time. Oh my! And, I love uh, the truth know. is coming out. I, wait, who was in Nelson's? <laughs> this is, who was in Nelson's band at that time? It's funny you say that. Um, you know, I don't really know. I, yeah. I, I know. I recently uh, I listened to your Barry Sless interview, and I I recently spent some time with Barry um, in love Italy that cat, man. Through, through an organization. Great, great man, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, great cat. I, I really, really, I spent a little bit of time on him, but just wonderful soul. Um, I, I like to listen to him articulate uh, verbally, is uh, obviously outside of his playing, but really good guy. But I know he's he's been playing with David for a long time. But it, it got me thinking listening to your interview. Huh, I wonder who was in David's band around that time. I feel like it was '94. Um, but you know that's such a small joint, and I don't know if David was traveling with a full-on band at the time or. He was using local cats, or I don't remember enough about the experience. <laughs> <laughs> you were playing like uh, congas or something, or, or bongos. Yes. Oh, I love. Where are the Where's the video of this stuff? By the way, the Rhinecliff <laughs> the Rhinecliff Hotel was was the greatest upholstered sewer before it became a five star hotel. It was just the most <laughs> incredible place. Um, you know, but going back, we're gonna have to do part two, obviously, because. But I wanted you to talk about one cat in particular. I believe you have a timeshare with him. Uh, cabin up somewhere, but uh, you talk about your how you connected originally a memorable Scatico story with the Reverend Billy Goldner. Absolutely, um, you know Billy is a special friend. Uh, I've known Billy for a long time. Um, I think we probably first met when I was maybe nine or ten years old. I think I was ten years old or turning ten that summer. Uh, he was my group leader. And uh, amongst a, a wonderful staff we had of playful, playful cats uh, who were deep friends, or at least seemingly so to us as, I think, little kids, you know, like your older brothers. Right. And Billy, Billy just like from, that, from that, those early memories of just his smile and his enthusiasm for fun, for stories, um, and for just kind of one foot in front of the other, let's see what happens next, and to do so in a setting where he's leading both his fellow staffers, his friends, and then this, you know, large group of, of really excited, probably all over the place in terms of interests and abilities, because we were like nine and ten years old, you know, these, this group of kids, 
um, was something just kind of special. And as uh, you know, adults the past handful of years, we reconnected and uh, feel the same way. You know, I mean, he just he marches through life as we all do, and he's got a, a big willingness to let life come to him. Um, moment by moment, as best as he's able. And I think that that is something that I respect. And I, I think I've, I've uh, over time, uh, realized something that I have an affinity for and uh, is something that I think has served a nice purpose for me uh, if and as we're able to day to day sort of just be there with whatever's going on at the moment. You know, before I let you go, uh, I talked to Andy Bernard about this, too. <clears throat> he was uh, incredibly articulate uh, about it. Um, how are you – talk about in 2017 uh, an, an area of growth for Mike Samuels uh, in terms of as it relates to the balance between uh, materialism and your and your own spirituality. Yeah, Sure. I mean, I, I look at 2017, and I think of, of two things right now, and that would be to smile and to say yes. And uh, wow. I think that those, those two things together are kind of what's been coming to me in terms of uh, tackling what's ahead, uh, what's here right now in front of me, and, uh, and giving myself the, the best chance for, for something new to come of it. Because at the end of the day, uh, that to me is kind of, I think, what I search for is uh, what's, what's up next. I'm ready. Uh, can you give an example of something that you didn't say yes to in 2016 that if it came around again, you would? Oh, sure. Well, I think every day there are, there are moments, uh, whether it's, um, oh, I should have gone and, and talked to that woman over there, or I should have gone and done this, or oh, I shouldn't have eaten that at three in the morning. <laughs> I, I think it's just a matter of, uh, you know, seeing in that moment what's put in front of me. And uh, beyond that, I don't look too much back. I kind of just look forward and say, where is it and what's coming next? Mike Samuels, uh, it is, uh, I love you, man. We're, we'll definitely do part two. And, and uh, it was, uh, I just wish you nothing but the best. And uh, I really hope to, uh, to, to link up with you in person uh, in, the, in the coming year, man. I got a lot of, I should be back uh, working on the Stan Getz documentary. I'm, I'm going to be up in uh, at the Gershwin Mansion in Irvington, New York, hopefully in the early uh uh, early spring so uh it would be great to connect and I, i'd love to get behind the trap set and, and just play some time feel with you <laughs> i would love nothing more <laughs> love you man happy you new so year much. man healthy new- yeah and to you healthy cheers man Take care. later on so that was the scatico segment of the, of the jake feinberg show and we got uh one more guest <laughs> legendary Dave, dave jacoby uh spearheading the uh the lucky dragon hotel and casino in las vegas and we'll be right back with him on the jake feinberg show there's no peace in the barnyard people since the little red rooster's been gone 